We are going to continue our series on relationship health, and uh, today we are going to talk about the workplace environment and how we might be able to improve uh, those relationships within the workplace. And I know this is one that Kendall's been looking forward to for a long time because of who he has to work with, but I don't know if you realize it or not, but you are going to spend or you have spent about 150,000 hours of your life working. That's about 40% of your waking hours. Unless you're retired, you're probably groaning inside right now just a little bit to think about how long you are going to work or how many hours, how much of your waking moments you are going to spend working. Uh, A Harris survey found out in 1973 that the average American spent 40 hours a week at work But by 1987, the average American spent 46 hours a week at work. If you are a professional of some type, you on average spend about 52 hours a week working. Did I hear an amen down there? Is that a little low or is that about, okay, about right? All right, all right. Uh, If you're a small business owner or operator, you probably work 57 to 60 hours a week. Here's the deal. You will spend more time working, uh, commuting to work, and thinking about work than you will eating meals, playing on the weekends, and vacationing in the summertime combined. So work is a, I know this is real encouraging right now, right? I can just feel the joy that's happening in your hearts right now. Uh, But work is a huge part of our lives. And so if work is such a huge part of our lives, doesn't it make sense that God would have addressed the workplace situation or the workplace environment or how we ought to approach work? Don't you think it makes sense that he would uh, address that in the Bible because it is such a major part of our lives? If we are going to spend about 40% of our lives working, then isn't it right to assume that God is concerned with how we spend that 40% of our time? And so following God, this is, my, uh, this is my hypothesis, I guess, if you will. Following God should affect the way that you work. Being a believer in Jesus Christ should affect the way that you apply approach your job or the way that you act in the workplace. Now, when it comes to our career, most of us have a dream job, and then we have our real job. Amen? Uh, and, and so maybe you have considered these questions before. Maybe you sit around and you said, how did I end up in this job that I have, right? How did I end up in the career choice that I made? And maybe some of you are even asking yourselves this question. Am I really happy with what I'm doing? Do I look forward to going to work each, each day? You know, have you ever considered the link between what you do for a living and how that impacts your walk with Christ and how it might impact other people? See, I think these are all questions that we need to ask ourselves because work is a big deal uh, to God, Right? There's a lot of talk in the Bible uh, about work, and here are some of the things that we are told in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses eleven and twelve says, "We hear that some among you are idle; they they are not busy; they are busy bodies." 
It's probably somebody just came to mind, I know. But get that out of your mind today. We're worshiping, we're thinking good thoughts today. Uh, They're not busy, they're just busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And so as we read these letters to the Thessalonians, you're kind of thinking, all right, this Thessalonian church sounds a little bit lazy, right? And, and then Proverbs 19, 15, uh, we are told laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless man goes hungry. Proverbs 21, 25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Ephesians 5, 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his hands. So we see all of these different things in scripture about work and there are so many reasons why so many people today are not happy with what they are doing, right? Maybe they don't look at their job from a biblical perspective. Maybe they see it as something that is more, something that they dread more than something that can be uh, a blessing, actually. Some people feel underappreciated in their jobs. Others, um, maybe you followed the career path that you did just to please somebody in your life, maybe your parents or maybe your spouse. Maybe some of you chose your profession just because of the money while others have wound up where they have wound up in their jobs just because it's the path of least resistance. The good news is this. Um, You don't have to approach your job that way. In fact, you can even... There are more people these days who are changing their careers midstream than ever before. There are more ways to return to schools and to retool yourselves to do different jobs than ever before. In fact, there's a huge stay-at-home industry now that they call cottage industries. They sprung up on the internet just for that purpose. You can look on Monster.com, Wall Street Journal, Amazon, all these different things. You can just Google the words career change and bazillions of choices pop up on different things that you can do. So here's the deal. You're sitting out there, you're saying, all right, what what are you getting at, Ron? How do we become more content? How do we look at our jobs and say, you know what, man, this is just something that I I love doing. How, How can my job become worship? To God, how can I improve the health of the relationships in the workplace by my attitude? Well, if you've ever asked those questions, you are in luck today because I'm going to give you some answers. Right? Here's the first thing: see your job as a blessing. I think some people have the wrong idea about work because you know we we see it as. Um, I don't know, maybe a curse. We look back at the story of Adam and Eve and we're under the impression that man was never intended to work and we've been saddled with this responsibility after sin came into the world. I don't believe for a moment that's what the Bible teaches at all. From the very beginning, we read that God gave responsibilities to Adam and he was charged with uh, doing different things in, in this world long before the fall. 
Here's what we're told in the book of Genesis. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he, uh, what he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. All right, so at the very beginning of creation, God is intending for us to work the ground. It wasn't something that said, oh, Adam, you goofed up, so now you're going to be miserable the rest of your life working. That's not what God was doing at all. We look down a little bit later in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, or verse 15 of what I just read there. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it, to take care of it. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. And so the man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. And so from day one, God gave Adam responsibilities to complete in the Garden of Eden. Before that, God set the example for us of a productive life and where it says that God finished the work he'd been doing. And now what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? You say, okay, well, what, what, what was the curse about then? If, if Adam and Eve sinned and we're, we're told about a, a curse, what's that curse all about when they were banned from the Garden of Eden? Well, here in Genesis chapter 3, um, to Adam, this is what God said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit. Now, that's not the part there, all right? Because you guys don't read into that more than what's there, okay? Because you listened to your wife. This was just one isolated incident, I'm sure. You listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Notice what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it, uh, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And catch this important distinction here in this passage of Scripture. God didn't curse Adam. God didn't curse his work. He cursed the ground. In other words, God made the ground much more resistant to Adam's work. Adam could still get results from tilling the ground, but it's going to be more difficult now, right? Before in the Garden of Eden, everything was just, it was just a lot easier, you know? It didn't have to work so hard. Now there's thistles and there's thorns where there wasn't thistles and thorns before. Sweat would be required to work now in order for that food to be provided. The dirt was now cursed, and then eventually the dirt would one day claim our lives, right? From dust we're created to dust we're going to return. What does that mean? Work has never been a curse. Work was meant to be a blessing. Work was meant to be a gift from God. It's a part of God's plan for mankind to work from the very beginning. And what sin did the way sin impacted us is simply that it made it more difficult for us to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. Work is not a curse from God. I think it's one of his greatest gifts. It's a blessing to have a job. Amen? Amen. Okay. If you don't believe me, try going without one for a while. 
See how you like that. Now, I know there's millions of people right now that's liking it a lot, you know, and we're sometimes, I don't want to get political. I'll, I'll shut up now. Um, but it's a blessing, you know? It's supposed to be. And the best way for us to have the right attitude to really go about our jobs and maybe even to just choose our career is to improve our attitude uh, about uh, our jobs by saying, understanding it's a gift, Right? Don't look at it as a burden. Look at it as a blessing that God gave you the ability to do do what you're doing. He gave you the health to do what you're doing. He put you in a position to do these things. You ask someone who really wants to work and they're disabled and not able to work, ask them how much they like that. It's a blessing to have a job. In which you're able to utilize the talents that God has given you to be able to do some of the things that you were gifted and wired to do. Thomas Sass, who is a philosopher, said the greatest analgesic, soporific, stimulant, tranquilizer, narcotic, and to some extent even antibiotic, in short, the closest thing to a genuine panacea known to medical science is work. It's fulfilling. It brings about so many good things. Ronald Reagan was famous for saying, the man who does what he loves will never work another day in his life. And so one of the things you need to ask yourself maybe is this, maybe about your current job. Is it something that I love doing? Uh, Do I truly have a passion for it? Am I excited to get up and go to work every day to face the challenges that my job presents with me, uh, presents to me? If you can't answer yes to those questions, then I think you need to evaluate why you can't answer yes. It could be that maybe you're just in the wrong field. It could be that. But I think if you look really closely and you look hard, a lot of the times the problem is our attitude about it. It's the way we approach it, you know? And, and I don't know, maybe you've taken the career path you're on for, maybe for all the wrong reasons, and I encourage you, you know, pray about that. Don't stay in that rut. Um, see what you can do to change that. But I would just about bet that a lot of the times uh, when we are dissatisfied in the job that we have, it's, it's because of our attitude about our job, you know? The right job for the right person is to be a blessing that God wants you to know and He wants you to experience that. And then I think He wants us to see our job as a bridge. That's the next thing. The right job will be a bridge for you to accomplish many wonderful things. Here are just some of the more obvious ones. First thing is this. It can be a bridge for building a good reputation. Someone has wisely said, every job is a self-portrait of the person who does it. Autograph your work with excellence. I think we've all been around co-workers who don't work with excellence, right? And maybe somebody just, just came to mind. It's a bit frustrating, isn't it, to work around someone that just kind of just uh, halfway does their job all the time. But on the flip side is this. When you're around someone who does their job with excellence, it's inspiring to see that person go about their job doing it that way. You may not realize it, but people in the workplace are watching you, whether you're doing a great job or whether you're doing a lousy job, and you have the opportunity to improve your relationship in the work environment by by how you do your work. You can improve it with 
your attitude and you improve it uh, uh, with, with everyone around you, with your boss, with your co-workers, everyone. I heard a story about a large company feeling it was time for a shakeup in the corporation. They hired a new CEO. This new boss was determined to go into the company and change things around, get the company back on the right foot. And so he's taking a tour of the facilities one day, and the CEO comes into the facilities, and he notices a guy leaning up against the wall. The room was full of workers, and he wanted to let them know that he meant business, and he was going to set an example. And so the CEO walks up to the guy who's leaning up against the wall and says, how much money do you make a week? And everybody stops and they're listening. A little surprised, the young fellow looked at him and said, I make about $300 a week. Why? The CEO handed him $1,200 in cash, screamed at him, said, here's four weeks pay. Now get out and don't come back. Feeling pretty good about himself, the CEO looked around the room and says, does anyone want to tell me who this goof off is and what he did here? Someone shouted from across the room and said, yeah, he's the delivery guy from Jimmy John's. Um, <laughs> Now, <laughs> sorry, standing around at work, leaning up against a wall, doing absolutely nothing is probably not going to produce similar results, right? But it can, if that's the way you approach work, it can, it can really have a negative impact on the people around you. It can ruin your reputation. It can just really sour the whole work environment. So do your best in everything that you do, in every part of your job, approach it as a blessing from God and as a bridge and an opportunity to establish a great reputation with the folks with whom you work. Our job is also a bridge for ministering to the needs of others. Your job offers to you a wonderful opportunity for reaching out and meeting the needs of other people. You are placed in your situation with co-workers all around you probably every single day or you have been at some point in your life who have needs. And as Christians, I think it's our responsibility to be keenly aware of some of those things that are going on and, and approach them the right way. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people as we have the opportunity. And there's opportunities all around us. Philippians 2, 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you are in your job and you're paying close attention to the people who are working around you, you may find that that's one of the reasons that God has placed you where you are. You might have an opportunity that nobody else will ever have to reach a person that needs to know something about Jesus and what He can do for them. There's an old saying that, that we've mentioned here many times. People will never care what you know until they know how much you care. And so you reach out and, and, and you help to meet needs when you have the opportunity because this is the third way it can become a bridge. It can be a bridge to introducing the reality of Jesus Christ to people. You know? Many of the people with whom you work are never going to come with you to a church service like this one. You know? Um... Few of them are going to turn on their televisions and, or get on Facebook or YouTube on a Sunday morning and watch the many 
opportunities for worship through online services. They're probably not going to be listening to a Christian radio station and just pull off to the side of the road and talk to Jesus for a while. So what does that leave? I mean, those things happen, but they're really pretty few and far between. What does that leave for us? I think it leaves the powerful tool of a Christian testimony. And maybe God hasn't called you to preach in the cafeteria of your workplace. That'd be a little awkward, wouldn't it? And maybe He has called you to do that. I'm going to guess He probably hasn't. <laughs> or maybe God hasn't called you to pass out tracks on your coffee break. Maybe He has. But I think He's called every single one of us to build relationships with people so that the Gospel can be naturally introduced through a relationship. In fact, our conduct and character as believers working side by side with non-believers should be so powerful that they are the ones who approach us wanting to know what's different about us. They should be the ones wanting to talk to us about our faith if our testimony is what it should be. Listen to how Paul describes this happening in Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. So let me ask you, what kind of bridges are you building in the workplace? What kind of bridges are you building that will introduce the reality of Jesus Christ to someone that you work with? Because here's the deal. If you claim to be a Christian, they know that you claim to be a Christian and you're not building those types of bridges, that's going to do more damage than anything. And so you, you need to do it the right way and, and, and see your job as a building project. Right? That's the third and final thing. There, there's a couple of really strong passages of Scripture uh, that I think if we take them to heart, if we apply them to our lives, it can change our hearts, it can change our minds about our jobs, whatever it may be, and then that will uh, just naturally improve the environment in the workplace. It'll, it'll improve our, our relationships uh, in the workplace. The first passage is found uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now the implication of this verse is very clear, I think, as a Christian. It's way more important how we do what we do for a living than it is what we do for a living. And I think it's sad that in our society, it seems like, I don't know, we've kind of gotten into this unfortunate practice of attributing greater worth to people who have seemingly more important jobs, right? 
and, and, and we have this tendency to denigrate people who have jobs that society doesn't see as all that important. And, and the truth of the matter is this. Any job that you might hold, you might be sitting out there this morning, you might be thinking, man, my job is nothing. It, I just don't, it's just not very impressive. I don't know. Do you understand that any job that you have can be transformed into a way of serving the Lord and glorifying God for the most part, unless it's like something illegal or immoral, right? <laughs> um, that, that's, a, that's a hard one to justify, but anything else that you do, you can be transformed into serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord in whatever it is that you do for a living, all right? You need to understand that this passage of Scripture that I just read to you in Colossians, most of the people that were in the church, that were living during this time in human history, you know what their jobs were, most of the people? They were slaves. And Paul is writing to them saying that your job that you're doing as a slave can be transformed into something that the Lord can use. No. Their lives may never improve. Their work conditions may never get better. The outcome in the future might always seem bleak. Their fortunes may never seem to improve. However, everything changes when you begin to view your occupation as both a way to honor God and to represent God in the way that you accomplish your daily tasks. And the second passage of Scripture, I think it might even be more profound than what I just read, uh, and it's directed to the Christians who lived in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. And what he's referring to there is the day of the Lord. When he comes back, when he comes to judge us, it'll be brought to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And so I want you to take a moment, and I want you to allow those two passages of scriptures to soak in for just a moment as you maybe reconsider what you do or what you're considering doing for a living and evaluate that in the light of, okay, um, everything you do, you can do for him, you should do for him, and everything that you do is going to be judged. Notice we don't, we don't work for a corporation. We don't work for a company. We don't work for a school system. We don't work for a church. Not for a boss. Not for ourselves. 
even if we own our own business, everything that we do, we are working for the Lord. We're fellow workers with Him and with other Christians. And the sum of our labors is going to be inspected by God at the end of our lives. More specifically, God's going to inspect the building projects we've been using throughout the years. He's going to look and see if we build our lives on our professional reputations. Maybe they'll stand the test of time. Maybe they won't. You know, maybe they stood the, the storms of life. Maybe they won't. It depends on the kinds of materials that you're using. And it's clear from the New Testament that ultimately we're going to give an account for what we have used our talents, our time, and our treasures on. Because those are the big three. That's basically, you know, when you look at the sum of people's lives, so much of all of those three, your time, your talent, your treasures, so much of those three things are linked to what? Our jobs. Those things are linked to what we do for a living. And so we have to give careful consideration as to how we live out our careers because the test of fire will eventually come for all of us. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Solomon, he's nearing the end of his life. The years of his life, they're about done. And this is the conclusion to which he came. Chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. Find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him. I encourage you to find that satisfaction. And you're not going to do it until you change your attitude about, about how you work. I think one of the greatest examples in how we work is found in Mother Teresa. And a few years before she passed away, an American television network filmed an interview with her. And uh, she was just remarkable at how she gave her entire life to feed the starving um, population of Calcutta. The person conducting the interview asked Mother Teresa about her feelings of being used of God to minister to the poor. And uh, she, they said, you know, your, your, your little work here has, has, has been recognized all around the world. Even the President of the United States knows about your labor of love. And she said, but it is His work. I think God wants to show His greatness by using my nothingness think about that for a moment she was asked later do you feel you have no special qualities and here's what she said I don't think so I don't claim anything of the work it is his work and I am like a little pencil in his hand that is all he does the thinking he does the writing the pencil has nothing to do with it the pencil only has to allow to be used. Right? You're a pencil in the hand of God. Are you going to allow Him to use you in whatever it is that you do? Some of you sitting out there, you might be retired and this whole sermon you're thinking, this wasn't even for me. Well, no. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where as a Christian, you get to retire. Amen? 
You might get to retire from a company, a corporation, but in serving the Lord, do it with all your heart. And some of you might be sitting out there and you might be thinking, ah, man, I just don't, I don't know. Well, maybe it's, maybe some of you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet. There might be some of you who have not made that decision to follow Christ. Maybe you're here today and you want to make that decision. Or you're watching online. You want to make that decision. We encourage you to text the word READY to our church connection number. If you want to do it that way. Or if you want to come forward and you want to do it during this service. We encourage you to come during this uh, song of decision. Maybe, maybe today you're sitting out there and you feel like Madden Fleahardy did this week. Madden... Do you mind just put your hand? I'm not going to make you stand or anything like that, but you just put your hand up here real quick. All right, everybody, there you go. Madden's sitting back here. Madden, at 12 years old yesterday, surrendered his life to Christ and was baptized into him. Would you give the Lord a praise? At 12 years old, at 12 years old, I believe Madden wants to be a pencil in the hands of God. And I hope that you do too. And so if you're already a believer, would you just consider committing to that? Would you say, Lord, I just, here I am. Send me. Or maybe you're not a Christian yet and you want to do that today. We encourage you to come. Let's stand together.